It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Welcome back to the Fantasy Points Podcast Network. It's good to be with you. I am your host, Graham Barfield, and I'm joined today with one of my good friends and one of our best contributors on the site. It is Mr. Edwin Porras. You can follow him on Twitter at FB Injury Doc. He has one of the best Twitter feeds, one of the best, most valuable Twitter feeds you can find. And he's also got one of the most valuable podcasts you can find. You should subscribe to his podcast, the Injury Prone Podcast, and his newsletter that he puts out. It's Edwin. Edwin it's me. Doing, it's good to talk good to you to talk too, to man. You. I'm excited for everything that we got going on at the site. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, this is always like around the time when football season sort of gets rolling camps are right around the corner. People are, people are starting to file in Scott fishbowl drafts are, uh, are today. So I'm going to win the Scott fishbowl today. There are a lot of different, a lot of different things going on. Football season is, is near, even though it's still baseball season, it's the all-star break, but football season is nearing. Yeah. You finally have a, a few days off here from the baseball grind. Uh, so you graciously, Gave me some of your time here, and I'm I'm going to pick your brain today, and we're going to play some injury MythBusters. And I really wish I had a MythBusters drop uh, on my old mix board. I can actually set up set up uh, drops, so maybe I should have actually used the old mix board. But I, I, real quick, did you watch MythBusters? Because you sent me a, a gif on <laughs> Dude, Twitter. Dude, I watched MythBusters. MythBusters guy? I, I feel like I was really young, but I did watch some of those, and that was always intriguing to me. Some of the scientific ones that they would do. Uh, well, most of them are scientific, I guess. Um, yeah, but yeah, I did watch MythBusters. Are you more of an Adam Savage guy? I think, or I, Jamie prefer, I think I prefer Jamie a little bit. I don't remember why. I don't. Pre- I don't remember why. Okay, cool. But I remember one of the guys got on my nerves a little bit more than right. the other. Okay. Yeah, you're a little more stoic. So I'll I'll play the Adam sta- uh, Adam Savage character today. Uh, uh, but no, seriously, we're gonna talk through some some myths, bust some bust some myths today. And the first myth that we should bust, Edwin, you spent a lot of time this offseason and previous offseasons talking through injury rates at quarterback. And you dove into the numbers this offseason and and did a fantastic study. It's up on the site, fantasypoints.com. And it's actually going to be a chapter or maybe a a big section of your upcoming book. You can talk more about that later in the show. But this idea of mobile quarterbacks being more injury prone, I know that's a, a bell going off in your head right there, but Mobile quarterbacks being more susceptible to injury than pocket passers is like just the general narrative that you'll see. You'll see, you know, old sports writers to ESPN talking heads saying, you know, these mobile quarterbacks, man, they just can't stay healthy. They just Lamar Jackson's missed multiple games every every couple of years. Justin Fields got hurt last year. You dug into the numbers and you actually dispelled some of these myths. So the floor is yours, Edwin, because I think this is one of the most interesting injury-related studies that we've seen come from the yeah, NFL I think in recent years. Um, first, Graham, I think that we have to consider big picture before the trolls come out that nobody is saying, and I say this in the article itself, nobody is saying that a quarterback should ram headfirst into a 300-pound defender, into a 200-pound linebacker. Nobody is saying they should run recklessly into the sideline. Right? Nobody is saying that. That is not the, the basis or the, or the thesis of this specific conversation. This conversation is about 
when a quarterback scrambles, so basically any anytime they try to run beyond the line of scrimmage that isn't designed, or when they are designed, right? Like a like a keeper or a boot or, or a sweep or something along those lines. Are those plays again? We're, we can't break it down to you know is this guy a rushing quarterback or are they not? But are those plays specifically more dangerous than you know let's say sitting back and throwing in the pocket? So that's what we I decided to look at. Looked at scrambles versus missed games, designed runs versus missed games, and then just to see how it fared against taking a sack or getting hit in the pocket. Uh, we also looked at that, and then all hits combined. Basically, what we found, without getting too nerdy into the data, the only significant relationship that we found was the in terms of the of the missed game data was a significant and positive correlation for sacks and hits. And this is on a per game basis, right? So it's not cumulative uh, on a per game basis, a significant, co- a positive correlation for sacks and hits versus missed games and all hits versus missed game, missed games. So basically, if you start from all hits, that includes scrambles, design runs, uh, getting sacked, getting hit in the pocket that we know more contact that implies more contact means you're more likely to miss games in the NFL as quarterback. Okay. That makes sense. So then you peel back the layers. You look at each individual category that I just mentioned, sacks, hits, design, runs, scrambles. The only significant positive relationship that you find when you separate those out and tease them apart. So you isolate them is the sacks versus hits category. There is actually a negative correlation with scrambles and missed games. Now it was non-significant, so we can't jump to conclusions and say, oh, scrambling safer than X, Y, or Z. But basically the findings of this study show that we don't want our quarterbacks taking hits, but we also don't want um, our quarterbacks taking sacks. And so if they can avoid, and this is kind of like makes sense, right? Just from like a theoretical perspective, the, if, if you can get away from being a sitting duck or if you're not a sitting duck and you can brace yourself or prepare for contact in some way, shape or form, then obviously you're probably not going to get injured as often. And that's sort of what we found with this study. Uh, we also did the same thing with IR and we found the exact same, uh, basically the exact same correlations when it comes to sacks and hits versus being on the IR, design hits uh, versus being on the IR. So all hits did have a positive correlation. So everything combined, if you get hit more often, you're more likely to be on the IR. But the only other significant positive relationship was taking sacks and getting hit in the pocket. That was also significantly associated with being placed on the IR. So all of that to say, if a, if a quarterback can run away or escape pressure or escape a hit, they're much more, they are more likely from an objective perspective to avoid injury. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And you, you wrote about this in your article. Again, the, the name of the article, you can go on Google, go on fantasypoints.com. It's called The Relationship of Quarterback Rushing Attempts to Injuries. And, and Edwin you know, uh, dispels a lot of myths in this. But what you went into uh, you know, from the top was that mobile quarterbacks don't miss more games than non-mobile quarterbacks. So not only did you find that scrambles and designed rushing attempts, actually, not only do they not correlate to injuries, uh, in terms of missed games or time spent on the injured reserve, you actually found that by and large, across this large sample of data you were working with, that generally speaking, mobile quarterbacks and non-mobile quarterbacks basically miss the same amount of games per year, about 1.8 to 1.6 between the both. Um, I thought that was fascinating. Um, to your point about you know larger quarterbacks, uh, by the way, if you ever are bored, go back on YouTube and watch cam newton highlights from 2015 man I, I did a couple i did a couple nights ago just bored you know just you know some nights i'll pop on youtube pull up some you know Ladanian tomlinson highlights or whatever 
uh, for whatever reason, I was in the mood to watch Cam. And uh, Cam's 2015 was was a total revelation. And it honestly opened up the pathway for guys like Josh Allen and Anthony Richardson to not only become great quarterbacks, but become superstar players. Um, You found that it makes sense that some of these larger quarterbacks like Cam tend to miss more games. Um, I wanted to to speak to you about this a, a little bit more. I know there's not a ton of data here. We There's one Cam Newton, there's one Josh Allen, there's one Anthony Richardson. Uh, but if there is any predictor uh, between uh, injury and um, you know quarterbacks, I think you would agree. It seems like BMI is kind of like one of the predictors. But again, it's one of those things, Edwin, where it's, it's a tiny sample size. So uh, the last thing I want to talk to you about here was, was the difference between weight and and injuries of the quarterback position or whether yeah that that's matters. a good question man and again the sample isn't huge it's not like we've had cam newtons running around the league for 30 years now uh they really are just becoming more prevalent more common in the league but yeah i mean so when it comes to bmi specifically which bmi if you don't know what bmi is it's a ratio essentially of how tall you are compared to how much you weigh the assumption cannot necessarily be made that if you know if you have a higher bmi that you're fatter especially with these guys i mean you could be like a chiseled you know, 30, 31 BMI as a running back, but a 30, 31 BMI for an offensive lineman is going to look totally different. So we can't really know muscle mass versus fat, which that's a whole different conversation that I've actually talked your ear off about Graham before. Um, we don't have to get on in this podcast. Get, I have, I have. Um, yes, you have. So anyway, so if we look at BMI, um, with this study, which by the way, we sh- I should know this was like a hundred and what was it, Graham? Like 170 plus sample, uh, quarter, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So it's like 160 sample size. So basically, I looked at quarterbacks and their BMI. So quarterbacks with a BMI of 28 or lower, so relatively smaller BMI, they miss about one game on average. Uh, whereas quarterbacks with a 28.1 and above BMI miss an average of two games. So the bigger you were, essentially, the more likely or the more time that you miss. Now, is that significant or not? I'm not totally certain. But at this point, it's it's kind of interesting right. to me that you'd think that you'd be built, if you're built like Josh Allen or Cam Newton, that you take, you know, maybe it is just accumulative hits that you take in the pocket or, or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it's something like Cam Newton, who he was dropping back in the pocket. And he's such a, he has such a, a, a big body, a big frame that eventually that the ligaments in his foot just, you know, decided to go, decided to give, like, what is it about size? And that's another really interesting conversation that I really don't have the answer to yet, but it is, it is fascinating to see that Mm -hmm. smaller quarterbacks actually do miss less, like a less amount of time. I, I think you started the whole argument off basically by saying the guys that are shiftier in the pocket and can kind of make defenders miss and really avoid hits. That's kind of your big thesis is if these quarterbacks can avoid hits, they can avoid sacks. They're less likely to get injured. I think that's the case there. It's like if you're a little more athletic, a little smaller, maybe, maybe you're actually uh, you know, more, more able to, to, uh, to not take hits. And I think this, this is a kind of an interesting parallel to the Bryce Young conversation. Bryce Young is 5'11", man. Like he played at Alabama at like 180. Like he's literally my size. I'm 5'11", 180. I could not imagine being tackled by, I would get crushed. Now, granted, if Aaron Donald tackled me, Edwin, I would break into two. Now, granted, I am not nearly the physical, obviously anything. My highest level of athleticism was high school baseball. But I'm just saying from a, like Bryce Young, also, if you just watch his tape, man, like he has a knack in the pocket. 
He's got the knack that Joe Burrow's got. I, you know, I think it's I think it's really interesting that you know some of the the one red flag that people were pointing out in terms of Bryce Young was his size. And yes, sure, he can't see over the offensive line as well as Josh Allen can. Uh, but in terms of injuries, in terms of his longevity of the NFL, this study basically says, I mean, I, he should have just as long of an NFL uh, timeline as. Joe Burrow, any of the larger quarterbacks that went first overall or second overall, Andrew Luck. Uh, and not only that, like he actually might be better, uh, better suited for the NFL because he's so good in the pocket and because he's small and agile. You know, maybe he's not a big runner like Kyler Murray. That's fine. But as long as he can avoid sacks and hits, yeah, Bryce Young should be fine. Uh, Edwin, that that was really, I mean, honestly, we could spend a whole podcast talking through your article. Uh, we have a lot more to talk to, uh, excuse me, talk about. And I want to get to some running back and receiver talk. Uh, you've also spent a lot of time analyzing the different injury rates between running backs and receivers. And, you know, you found, you know, by and large, running backs get uh, injured more often than receivers. But you've spent a lot of time getting into the nitty gritty. And this is your chance here to get real into the nitty gritty with running back and receiver injury rates. Uh, you know, obviously one of the main reasons zero RB is so prevalent in best ball leagues and dynasty leagues and now even in season long leagues is because running backs by and large get injured more often than receivers. However, you found that, you know, on the whole receivers after they get injured suffer from the same production losses that running backs suffer from. And to that point, you've also found some specific injuries uh, that have, I will say, hampered the careers of certain receivers and running backs by and large i'll let you speak on those specific injuries um you know <clears throat> excuse me what they are receiver it's typically foot running back it's typically knee but let's talk through some of these running back and receiver injury rates and we'll start at the top what have you found in terms of running back injury rates and age this offseason that we should know going forward as we apply it to our yeah, drafts. So this summer. is a really tough, tough conversation, right? Because there's a lot of nuance, a lot of complexity. When it comes to injuries in particular, uh, the best predictor of of future uh, future injury is previous injury. You'll hear me say that over and over and over again. One of the studies, or I guess a part of a study, for, uh, for example, um, with Ryan, who just put out his awesome aging article over at Fantasy Points, I actually uh, I shot him a DM and I, I was really interested to see how, for example, ACL and ACL injury would impact a career. So, again, very contextually driven, very nuanced. Essentially, if you have a running back who tears their ACL, they have a steeper decline, a steeper drop off uh, in their final year. eight. I believe it was that Ryan found in year eight. It's just uh, it's about a 14 percent steeper decline. It just happens a little faster in that final year. But that's also totally uh, dependent because a bigger conversation from an NFL perspective is it's like 50% of guys fall out of the league if they don't have at least round four draft capital. Like these guys will be like 22, 23, 24 years old, tear their ACL, and they're just out, whether it's a running back or a wide receiver, right? So I think one of the, if we want to sneak this in into like a myth, like one of the biggest misconceptions I still see out there is sort of a, a selection bias that, that NFL fans will see and fantasy gamers will see. It's like, oh, well, you know, the medical community and rehab is and, and surgeries has gotten so good. You know, these guys are coming back so fast, which yes, at the high end they are, but this is by, the ACL injury, for example, is still by and large a career shortening, if not a career killer 
for a lot of these running backs and receivers who don't get the opportunity from the off front office, maybe don't have the best uh, pure athleticism in the world and are just hanging on to the roster by a thread. So I think we understate how much an injury can impact a, both a running back and a wide receiver, more specifically uh, the ACL. Yeah, I think some of your your most interesting takeaways in terms of um, your running back and ACL studies is just that it's it's draft capital. Um, so how many times have we seen just you know it doesn't even have to be a major ligament issue like a like an ACL or a major knee injury. It could be something as simple as like an ankle sprain, fourth round, fifth round running back sprains his ankle, misses two to three games. The backup takes back over. Uh, or the starter takes back over and basically that fourth rounder like just never gets another starting job. And that's, we see this across the board. You know, I think that's, that's a very uh, interesting, maybe not myth, but just something to keep in the back of your mind, especially when you're analyzing fragile positions, uh, the most fa- fragile position in fantasy, and that's running back. Uh, and when I, I want to talk to you more about uh, the AC, you know, running backs and ACL injuries, you spend a lot of time diving into the data and what you found is by and large, uh, we're really, really bad at predicting, uh, who's going to come back and who's going to come back and perform well off of ACL injuries. Uh, what can drafters, what can the folks out there listening to the podcast now, what can we do to get a little bit better at predicting, you know, performance? Such a great, I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions because it fits right into what we were sort of saying. It's a perfect segue. So even, so we know, that depending on the on the level that that player is coming back to, whether they're a practice squad player trying to get back to practice squad or a backup trying to get back to a backup's role or they're a superstar trying to get back to the starting job, we know for, by and large that most of them will fail to do so in the first year, at least from a fantasy points perspective. Most of them will score, at, you know, I think it's like, I, I believe it was 52% of their previous, of their pre-injury levels in the first year back from ACL. Now, that it does not mean that their second year after ACL, they're better. In fact, a lot of them fall out of the league in their second year. A majority of them, if they don't fall out of the league their first year back, they actually fall out of the league in their second year back, which is why this like, oh, I'm, I'll just take them in the you know year two, whatever. That's sort of that's the myth that I wanted to tackle. And so what we found is that, yes, it does take an outlier to be Adrian Peterson, to be Jamal Charles, to be. What would have been Saquon Barkley, RIP, pour one out, should have happened, didn't happen. Uh, All those guys and what hopefully will be Brees Hall, they all meet a certain set of criteria, sort of like you were saying. What you can expect or what you can, what you need to have any sort of confidence in these guys to coming back in their first year back that they'll score at least 90% of their pre-injury production is if they're extremely young, 22 or lower, if they are an offensive player, which is what the big, big picture data literature says. And if they have, again, fourth round draft capital or higher. So obviously, you know, we presume the higher the draft capital, the younger they are, the better off they'll be. Another uh, sort of specific criteria that you want them to meet. And in fact, maybe I'll just read this off, Graham. It might be easier than me just rambling and rambling and rambling. So there are basically five dudes who have done this in the history of the NFL come, that were fantasy relevant and came back, produced at least 90%, if not more, in their first year back from an ACL. So four out of the five were 25 years or younger at the time of the injury. Four out of five were exceptionally athletic, like pure athletes. Like I'm telling, I'm talking like night, like when it comes to, to, to a speed score, I think it's like 92nd percentile. Um, actually it's 92nd percentile for the 40 
an 82nd percentile average for Spork, which is uh, over at fantasypoints.com if you want to look at that Spork, which is just basically a weight-adjusted uh, athleticism metric. So nine, 82nd percentile Spork, four out of five had at least nine months dedicated to rehab, four out of five uh, were at least in uh, round three, had round three NFL draft capital, four out of five did not. Here's a super important one, right? Four of the five did not start on the pup did not start on the pup yeah and then of course you can look at like uh how much receiving work they 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 got in four out of the five average at least 2.7 ppr points per game through receiving prior to the injury well guess who meets all of those criteria graham Brees, motherfucker Brees hall i don't know if we can cuss i'm sorry okay he's tw- yeah <laughs> no 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 this HBO, is, the, HBO. This is the hbo of 21 years old networks 96th percentile spork 92nd percentile 40 he has 9.75 months to rehab. And something I didn't even mention was the the, the minimally complex injuries, not a J.K. Dobbins. Brees Hall had essentially a, a right. an ACL, and it sounds like a very minimal meniscus issue, which was even less severe than Saquon Barkley's. He's obviously the 36th overall pick in the NFL draft uh, during his draft class. In his draft class, um, he averaged 5.82 PPR points per game through the receiving. Uh, and like I mentioned already, he his surgical procedure was simple. So, Big picture takeaway. Most guys fall out of the league after an ACL tear in the second year. Most of them. If they're superstars, like we've seen Jamal Charles, Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley, um, and hopefully Brees Hall do, those dudes meet a very specific set of criteria so that they can actually contribute and and contribute and, and be a part of a winning fantasy uh, fantasy squad in their first year back, which is why the reason that I harp on that is because I like our job is to my job is to identify outliers and identifying outliers after ACL is one of the the best savviest moves that you could make as a fantasy manager and I'm willing to take a risk on guys like Brees Hall for that reason. Makes a ton of sense and I think all the cr- criteria that you laid out the early draft capital the incredible athleticism all of that I mean I, I think that makes a ton of sense my my one pushback and Edwin. I'm going to, I'm going to use, I'm going to fight fire with fire. Oh, no. I have oh, the, the privilege no. of, of oh, texting no. you nonstop. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's coming. Just wait. Let me set it up. I have, I have the privilege of, of texting my good friend, uh, Esquire, <laughs> Edwin Porras. And I can pick, I get the, I get the luxury of picking his brain about stuff like this all the time. Uh, I had an old text oh, that I pulled back You're doxing me. Long time ago from when you, oh, here we go. Here we go. Uh, old text that I pulled back up uh, last night, popped it in our, our doc here. Uh, you texted me that five, only five of 34 running backs have actually improved their fantasy production from year one to year two post ACL. And I'm going somewhere with this. Now, five out of 34 is 15%. It's 14.7%. If we're looking for outliers, so that's five of the 34, I guarantee you one of them is Adrian Peterson, yep. right? Yeah. Yep. Jamal mm-hmm. Charles, probably the other one. Keep going. Okay. Uh, I got two. <laughs> I I know this yeah, one only because random. you told me Gio Bernard. Mm-hmm. Uh, random. That was the third one. The other, the two, other two. Oh, remember. man. You're not going to believe this. J.K. Dobbins. And you already said Jamal Charles. I have to find the fifth one. It was it was oh J.K. Dobbins, gosh. believe it or not, at that 90%. Okay. Um, continue. I'm sorry. Don't, don't let me get, don't let me right. sidetrack you. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's five. Yeah, five of the thirty-five of thirty-four running backs coming off an ACL have improved their fantasy production from year one to year two, and this is this is my whole argument, kind of against Brees Hall this year. 
Brees Hall is going in the third round, right? We should be particularly, particularly excited about his upside. You know, last year, Hall was by points per game. He was the RB7 in his seven games played. He had over 600 yards from scrimmage in those seven games played. No, by the way, he wasn't even a full-time player in the first couple of games. He wasn't a full-time player really to like week four, week five. I get it. You know, Brees Hall was RB7. But just listen to this again. Five of the 34, five of 34 running backs have increased their year one or their post year, basically post ACL production. Only five of 34 have done it. And I guess my thing is with Brees Hall, he's going in the third round, man. We know we need to be shooting for upside in that third round. Brees Hall is going at RB8, RB9. Last year, he was the RB7. We've already seen, I think it's it's pretty clear, the Jets will probably take it pretty easy on him at weeks one and two. I don't really care so much about that. You and I talk about this all the time. We talked about it with Chris Godwin last year, and that's why we were in on Chris Godwin. Don't really care so much about weeks one and two. We want what he's going to be doing in weeks three and on. You can make the same argument for Brees Hall, but I guess my thing is we should be really, really uh, concerned that Brees Hall's upside might be a little bit tapped this year just because of all of the uh, significant you know, rehab it takes to come back from an ACL. My final thing I wanted to say about this, Edwin, and, and this kind of is not really an NFL related thing, but it kind of is, you know, you, you were talking to me a couple of weeks through text about Jamal Murray and his return and, you know, just the pressure these running backs face uh, from, you know, coming, just coming back too soon, uh, essentially. And I, I, I guess this is kind of like an open-ended question, but wouldn't it make more sense for teams just to take it a little easier? Take it a little easier on these guys. Like give give their bodies the right amount of time to adjust and get used to basically a new knee. Um, you know, I just going through some of the the data and the texts. You know, I didn't mean to to throw that in your face, but in all seriousness, I mean just going through some of the data and everything that you you know you've been texting me over the months and weeks as prepared for this podcast. It kind of really just brought me to a broader point of like, man, maybe we should we should just take it easy on some of these guys like Michael Gallup. You were speaking about this, but Michael Gallup came back in like seven months. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, you know, I guess that would be my, my big thing. Uh, if you're, if you're planning on drafting running backs coming off of ACL, just be particularly, particularly understanding of what their upside is relative to cost and understand that unless they're Adrian Peterson or Jamal Charles <laughs> or Gio right. Bernard, apparently, uh, it's it's a tough a tough hill to climb, but you're right. Brees Hall is probably one of the few that could do it. Absolutely, that's the, that's and I think. I mean, thing. you you bring up very relevant points, and I don't think that you're wrong in any perspective. Teams should take it easy, right? Teams should uh, take it slow. There probably shouldn't be, honestly, honest to God, there probably shouldn't be one athlete that comes back and plays prior to like even the nine, like the even the ten month mark. Um, but the reality is that's just not what happens with everything that's pushing back, you know, with everything right. that's coming, you know, in the research now and these, these elite athletes, we're really basically just now testing the waters of being like, well, how far can we really push these guys? And I think you also bring up, you might, we bring up Michael Gallup, which brings up another interesting point that matters too. um, that point that I made about having enough time to actually dedicate to rehab. I was not in on Chris Godwin early in the season, like we talked about, and then he ended up having a hamstring injury. He was eight months, you know, post-op. I'm not surprised. Michael Gallup, he came out and and by his own admission said, I was not confident in my knee. I didn't feel good. It wasn't great. And he came back at seven and a half. It was just something these timelines are get, getting crazier and crazier, which is why this data is really meant to serve more so as a guide, as opposed to, you know, a hard and fast rule. I think that, um, 
the the right. timing of when the injury matters or when the injury happens matters a lot and having time to rehab and be back matters a lot so yeah. guys like michael gallup you know got to be careful guys like chris godwin you got to be careful uh, i definitely agree with that like it's not a cut and dry not a cut and dry thing and in terms of how does that apply to fantasy well if you follow a fantasy analyst if you go to fantasypoints.com and you read our, our stuff, then you'll know <laughs> which guys to be particularly selective on. And that is what I try to do. Um, I don't try to, you know, the goal isn't to say like, oh, just draft them. It'll be fine. The goal is to identify specific outliers and point out guys who have less of a chance of being that outlier, which would lead to somebody like Javante Williams, who I think has less of a chance of doing so. Well, you just read my mind. Perfect segue because I wanted to talk about Javante and Brees uh, and, and their costs relatively. So like I mentioned, Brees is going in the third round. Javante Williams is, is starting to come up. There's some some. It's a weird headline. There's a headline that Roto World ran with yesterday that said Javante says he's good to go. If you actually listen to the quote, Javante never said he's good to go. Uh, he said, you know, it's up to the Browns. I'm feeling better. But he never once said, like, I'm good to go. And here's my question to, to you, Edwin, right? So Brees is going round three. Javante is going round nine. Relatively, Brees had the more difficult, or excuse me, Javante Williams had the more difficult injury to rehab from, right? Yes. Okay, you're shaking your head. Brees had the clean ACL. Javante had uh, ACL plus, but he did not have a hamstring injury, which Dobbins had. And Dobbins admitted he had. So Javante's injury was probably not as severe as J.K. Dobbins. Uh, not only that, uh, Javante was injured earlier in the year than Brees Hall. He was injured uh, first week of October. I believe Brees Hall's injury was the first week of November. So Javante has an extra week, or excuse me, an extra month uh, of rehab in theory on Javante or on Brees. Yet the whole fantasy world has decided Brees Hall is worth a third round pick and Javante's worth a ninth round pick. Now, I, I came into this whole offseason thinking, man, I'm not going to hardly have any Javante. But if this is the if this is the cost of admission between both of these very talented running backs on offenses, we're all projecting to be a little better. You know, I think the Jets will be uh, a lot better with Rodgers under center. We can talk a lot more about that. But just by and large, I, I can't get my head around why if Brees Hall is a third round pick, Javante Williams should be a seventh round pick I, at yeah. least, at least. And I think that's my entire my entire argument against Brees is just like you're already kind of drafting him near his ceiling. There's not a lot of room for equity there. He's probably a pretty solid pick. But Javante Williams, like if we're hyping up Brees Hall in the third round, Javante Williams should be going I think, a lot yeah, earlier. That's also, I think a lot of different things can be true, right? And I don't want to talk it both sides of my mouth. I do think that there is some overcorrection that's happening with Javante Williams. I do think Javante in the sixth or seventh round is, is reasonable. However, there are other things that you have to consider with Javante. Like even though he does have a month of... Uh, re recovery and rehab up on Brees Hall. He's almost about two months from a purely objective data perspective. He's probably six to eight weeks behind him from a functional recovery perspective because the injury is longer, more drawn out, more complex, more complicated. Now, again, go back to the overcorrection. Basically, last year, J.K. Dobbins, I think he, from aside from this ending his career, it was pretty catastrophic for him. He was in and out of the lineup. He took more than a year to recover. He had that one run that was really painful to watch. Uh, it, I don't know if you know what I'm referring to. He broke away, which was incredible. The fact that he even put up the numbers that he did. We mentioned earlier, he actually is one of those uh, five that in the first year back scored 90% or better of his fantasy points. 
um, different conversation for a different day. But he, you know, all things considered, that was sort of catastrophic. I don't think that Javante Williams's recovery can go or will go as as poorly as Dobbins did, but it still has that chance. Um, it's still basically two different injuries, if you will, because there is that what's called the posterior lateral PLC corner involvement. So that's basically another part of the joint that's being impacted. And there are more complications that could come with that. And I think from a functional perspective, it's also going to be a lot harder for Javante to come back because of his athleticism. Um, Obviously, he's got great draft capital. Uh, We don't love his speed. Speed is a big part of what helps running backs come back to get their plant their foot in the ground and go. That's going to be, and he he mentioned that himself. Javante mentioned that himself in that quote. He said, you know, I'm still trying to get my speed back. You know, we're less than a month away from camp, and he's talking about still trying to get his speed back. So the chances of him starting on pup are also pretty high. So you could miss out four weeks of Javante Williams and not get him back to the fifth week, and they'll still probably work him in at that point. Um, obviously, I can't predict the future, but I do think that that's very possible. Now, I've said this before, too. Could Javante Williams provide solid value at the end of you know week 15 16 17 absolutely i think that he could be he could be a legitimate league winner in yeah. the ninth round now could javante william also need a cleanup procedure in week 13 and so you lose him the rest of the season that's also in the realm of possibilities more that's right. more likely than it is for somebody like Brees hall so I, I agree with you that i think the gap should be smaller but the risk on javante is is objectively a lot steeper yeah that's great detail that's great detail. And interestingly, just to put a bow on this entire conversation, you know, the, the Jets have been linked to Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, the, the Broncos have been linked to Dalvin Cook. I don't think, you know, either of these teams are particularly excited about the running back depth they have behind their injured starters. You know, Samaj P. Ryan was one of Sean Payton's first signings. I think he's still a, still a really good bet in, in best ball, uh, especially with a, you know, potentially decreasing costs with Javante Williams coming up in ADP. But all of that being said, I mean, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that Javante's risk is significantly higher, but he should be going a little earlier. Edwin, we got to talk through one more injury narrative that has been absolutely driving me crazy this offseason. And that's just the whole discourse around Kyler Murray. Um, Murray popped his ACL midseason last year. Um, you can speak more to the specifics of the injury, but I believe it was a clean injury. Also, by the way, if you remember the play, non-contact, non-contact didn't, take a hit. didn't take a hit complete, completely, completely random. Um, Kyler will be nine months removed, 10 months removed by week three, week four this year. Uh, in your upcoming book, you have a lot of more detail about quarterbacks coming back from ACL injuries. But, you know, like I said, I get to pick your brain. I've read a lot of this stuff beforehand. Uh, Joe Burrow, Robert Griffin III, Carson Palmer all came back from ACL injuries within a nine to 10 month range. Yet Kyler Murray is being drafted as if he's going to miss not just like four or five games. He's being drafted like he's going to miss half the season, maybe even more than half the season. And even if he does miss eight games, Kyler Murray is going as a quarterback 24 Edwin. Do I need to? Can I remind everybody? His quarterback finishes by on a points per game basis are quarterback 14, quarterback 5, quarterback 6, and quarterback 11. He's never been worse than a quarterback 14, and that was his rookie season. Now, granted, obviously, there's a whole lot going on between, you know, Cardinals' new coaching staff, DeAndre Hopkins is gone, 
Uh, his only good receiver that we know of is Marquise Brown. Uh, we don't know who their tight end is going to be. Their offensive line is a mess. Like there is a lot working against Kyler this year. But the, the main takeaway here is, I mean, I, I think anybody who is project who projects the NFL and actually sits down and does projections and works through this, the only way that Kyler uh, like misses the entirety of the season, in my mind, is if the Cardinals <laughs> start like 0-10 Edwin and they're just this complete dumpster fire and they're like, you know what? Screw it. We don't want to risk Kyler. Uh, we want to just take it easy with him. I mean, by and large, it, I just don't understand where this narrative came from neither, uh, yeah. about Kyler Murray. Uh, neither do I. Neither do I. The season. So, I think that you you nailed all the yeah. highlights, man. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing that I've learned in professional sports, working in professional sports directly, like the, my real my real job, if you will, is and it's baseball. Different, obviously, different sport, different context. Everything's different. These guys in about 98% of cases want to compete and that that carries weight. I don't say that in like a fluff, you know, narrative like, oh, he wants to get out there on the field. Like, no, I have seen it firsthand and I see it every single day. These guys want to be out there. They are literally built different. They don't mm-hmm. care as much about um, their, their stats in the sense of uh, in the sense of like individual play. They want to be out there for their team. They want to contribute. They want to bring that's where they get their satisfaction man i've seen and again i don't want to get too far off the rails like as a as a pt i've seen guys who when they if you will lose their sport the one thing that they've lived to do their whole life with injury through injury like they get lost like that is a mentally tough game so the sooner they can get back the sooner they get back to normalcy the sooner they get back the the, the better they feel like that stuff is very tangible very objective and the fact that I think Kyler Murray, it doesn't help that he's got, got this bad rap for, you know, the whole like the Call of Duty thing and the contract clause, all that BS. I think that's probably what's playing into this. But man, you nailed it on the head. We have no idea. We have no idea what Kyler Murray and his camp are thinking. We have no idea what the Cardinals are thinking. And most most teams, genuinely, most teams don't try to tank. Like you have to at least make a look. You have to at least make it look yeah. like you're trying. And what's the best way to make it look like you're trying? You throw your starting quarterback out there. So at worst, I think that he comes back at worst. I think he's back by week five. Even if the Cardinals win one or two games, um, they're 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 still going to probably throw him back out there. Uh, he's going to be eight months when the season starts, which is why I'm saying when which is why I'm saying I think nine might be a little safer. I don't think the season's lost. I do think that QB 24 is ridiculous. And I will say, since you doxed me earlier, you clowned me when I was excited about getting Kyler in like the like the millionth round that one for that one uh, draft. Now, maybe I should have drafted another quarterback too. Um, but I man, did. yeah, especially in best ball. I hate the cliche, but especially in best ball, I'm gobbling up as much Kyler as I possibly can. Yeah. No, it's not cliche. It's just right. You know, if we're, we're looking for edges here and, and you know, I think... You said it right there. I mean, you'd be stunned if it's not, you know, week five or week six for return. And, you know, with that being said, uh, you know, an underdog, Kyler's still going 165, 175 overall uh, on a on a tournament like drafters where it's, it's um, you know, there's no playoffs. It's just full points. Uh, any of those types of best ball tournaments, I do think you probably should be a little more leery of Kyler. But all of that being said, all of this is more than baked into ADP. Um I think my my actually my biggest concern for Kyler this year, Edwin, and you can speak to this more. Have you looked into uh, whether or not quarterbacks that are mobile coming back from major injury, what their rushing production looks like in the following year? Because that's like my big concern for Kyler is that he's you know he's 
he runs is, you know, obviously he, that's his game. It's scrambling and uh, making things happen when the pocket breaks down. He's going to have to do a lot of that this year behind the offensive line. But I'm just curious to know if there's any large scale uh, sample that says rushing production dips. Man, I wish there was injury. like a bigger sample, but sort of like we mentioned before, yeah. rushing quarterbacks, uh, yeah. they just don't, they haven't existed for as long, right? They, they, we, we've seen RG3s, we've seen Cam Newtons, but even then, like the amount of time that they, the amount of time or um, that they've been around, like that, that archetype of quarterback just isn't very, so it makes the sample really small is the point that I'm making. But we can't, we do have a relatively right. small sample. Um, if you look at, you know, kind of relatively this era, Donovan McNabb, RG3, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, we're going to throw Joe Burrow in there. So basically, if you look at these guys from a rushing attempts per game perspective, um, the first guy I mentioned, and as I pull up this data, my computer's going a little slow, so I need to hide this column so that I don't read the wrong lines. This is fantastic podcasting. I'm very, very prepared. As you can see, nothing but professional, the highest professionalism here at Fantasy Points. Donovan McNabb went from 3.2 rushing attempts to 3.6. Okay, weird. Uh, RG3, he went from 8 to 6.6. Deshaun Watson went from 5.1 to 6.2. Carson Wentz went from 5.1 to 3.1, and Joe Burrow went from 3.7 to 2.5. So we're kind of all over the board, right? It's kind of random. And if you average those out, that comes down to about a a 10% difference, about a 10% decline. So, and that's what makes it tough to predict, sort of like you're saying with the new offense, with the new coach, new scheme. We don't know exactly how much Kyler is going to be running the ball and how much they're going to try to protect him or, or get quick reads, get him out of the pocket or um, get him, you know, uh, get get him to a three step drop so they can get rid of the ball. We don't know how much of that is going to be incorporated. Right. But what we do know is like if you look at case studies and this is really going to be more so case studies, RG3, you know, he dropped he dropped uh, a pretty big chunk of his rushing, but that was still from eight attempts to 6.6, right? Like from basically from, from eight to six, like that right. six rushing attempts for a quarterback is still pretty good. Donovan McNabb, for whatever reason, he went up. <laughs> uh, Deshaun Watson was running for his life that year in, in Houston. He, his went up by, you know, almost two entire attempts. So it's really going to depend a lot on his offensive line and how they decide uh, to, to protect Kyler Murray. So that stuff is a little bit less predictable because our data set just isn't as good. Yeah, still good context, though. Um, yeah, I knew it was only just a couple of quarterbacks, but I, I did want to mention that. And just to wrap up the Kyler conversation, Kyler's averaged 6.7 rush attempts in his entire career. However, he's really only had one truly great rushing season, and that was in 2020. He had 11 rushing touchdowns, over 800 yards, stayed healthy the whole year. Uh, by and large, Kyler's kind of just been around like six to seven carries per game, around 40 yards per game with the occasional touchdown. As long as he kind of stays in that pocket, like five to six carries, you know, 30 to 40 yards, I think we're going to be more than fine from a floor perspective. Like I said, Kyler's really only had that one big spike season. Uh, we really just need the four to six points per game uh, that he provides as a scrambler. Um, and I think, you know, even a 10% decrease, Edwin, um, again, it's more than baked into ADP for him. I'm not going to be drafting Kyler very much, uh, if at all, in like season long leagues. I just don't want to stash a second quarterback, especially if he's going to miss a whole month. But man, I think he's one of the best QB2, QB3s you can get in best ball relative to price and for an upside case. Edwin, this has been fantastic, man. I, we've been recording for nearly 45 minutes. I'm sure I could go another 45. Uh, we're going to let the people's ears 
take a break. I'm going to let you plug your upcoming book. I'm really excited about it. Tell the folks where they can find it, what's coming, what to expect. Yeah, man, I think it's... The whole lot. I've been trying to keep it most... I mean, I tweeted about it. It's pinned on my profile. But this is something that I've literally wanted to do since I started doing this five years ago. And it really is like a labor of, of love, Graham. We'll call it a labor of love. And it's basically every question that the most common questions that I get from a week to on a week to week basis and a year to year basis is going to be all in this book. So it's essentially going to be average of the most common. It's going to be separated by position. It's going to be, you know, the most common injuries. So for running backs, we're going to look at knee, we're going to look at hamstring, we're going to look at shoulder, and it's how many games they miss on average. It's going to be what their, their performances in the first week back, what's their re-injury rate, all that stuff. What is their risk going into the season? What is their year-to-year recurrence rate? We're going to look at concussions. And the, the way that I think this is going to be different or something that I, at least I haven't seen in the industry yet, um, I, tapped, I was able to tap into your, into your sharp brain and I was asking you, you know, this was a couple months ago at this point, how can we make this relevant? And even though it will cut the sample size down and it did cut the sample size down uh, over the last five years, what we're going to look at is basically cutoff points. We don't care how the RB3 or the practice squad special teams return guy does uh, after their injury. I'm sorry, not that they're not relevant. They're just not relevant for fantasy purposes. Um, they still matter as humans, not so much for fantasy. So we're going to give cutoffs. And so basically our sample, even though it will be slightly limited in all of those ca- categories for running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, um, we're going to make it relevant, hyper relevant in the sense that it's going to be guys that you actually are considering on a week to week basis. On top of that, it's going to be my tiers that I put out every year. Um, it's going to be injury profiles. I'm going to expand injury profiles this year to not just guys like, you know, Rashad Penny, Tony Pollard, but also going to give a bit of more context on guys like, you know, Justin Herbert or extraneous injuries that may have impacted other guys down the road. That's going to be all in this book. Um, I'm excited. It's coming. I've, it's I, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. I've been doing it. I've been working on it most of the off season, and I'm excited to to share it with the world once it's done. Yeah, I think uh, I think I speak for everybody. We're all excited to read it. You're definitely going to want to check it out before you draft. Uh, and Edwin, you know you know how I feel about uh, all the work you're doing. I think this is going to be something that you guys are seriously going to want to read year in and year out every summer. Uh, Edwin has put in a ton of work into injuries and making you a sharper fantasy mind sharper better however you decide to get your action down make sure you check out edwin's book uh this has been fantastic for edwin i'm graham we'll catch you guys next time on the fantasy points podcast network thanks for tuning in to this edition of the fantasy points podcast Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.